You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Hello, this is Siobhan Hunt from Feed, Play, Love. Unfortunately, Chris Minogue was unable to do Helpline this week. So we're bringing you the audio from a webinar with Dr. Vanessa Lapointe on toddler tantrums. Vanessa is a psychologist, mum and author of several books. Her latest is called Parenting Right from the Start. She's a woman who understands what's happening inside our children's brains and is all about helping parents understand it too. Now, Vanessa is in Australia during March to launch her new book and to celebrate, she's doing a series of seminars in Perth, Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne, supported by Maggie Dent. But before you can listen to Vanessa in person, we thought we'd give you a little taste of why you might want to hear some more. In this webinar, Vanessa presents her basic approach to toddler tantrums and then answers a few questions from our audience. Enjoy. One of the things um, that really inspired me in the writing of my latest book, Parenting Right from the Start, is that I wish that I had had this kind of a a manual or a guide, if you will, uh, for when I was a new mom and my boys were little and I was trying to figure it all out. And one of the things that I've learned um, very humbly (laughs) in my own parenting journey uh, and also in walking alongside um, thousands of families at this point in my career is that those early years uh, can be very challenging because they, they bring us to our knees in terms of forcing us to understand the parts of us that are as yet ungrown. So one of my big messages is that we must grow ourselves in order to grow our children. Now, one of the big challenges with that is that we have a lot of pressure on us socially. There is a whole big sort of parenting pop culture around child raising that would have us, you know, walking down different paths with our children. And oftentimes when I'm talking with parents, they'll share with me that those things don't feel good to them, that they'll listen to, you know, what some expert had to say, or they'll do what it said to do with your kid in some book or something that they read online, or maybe uh, somebody in their family has encouraged them to parent in a certain way, but they always have this sort of intuitive sense that it's not really working. It doesn't really feel right. It's not resonant with them. And so one of the things that I love to share with parents is that there ain't nobody who's an expert on your child like you are when it comes to raising them up in the best possible way. And so you have to go to your heart and you have to go to gut. And sometimes that means that you're going to stand up like the fierce mama or the fierce papa that you are in the face of that parenting pop culture and say, that doesn't work for me. And I'm choosing to do it this way instead. You know, a few things that really allow us to make sense of what's going on in our children's minds and um, really allow us to pull the science and the heart of child development together so that we can make decisions in an informed kind of way. One of the biggest, you know, pressures, I suppose, upon parents is that we get the message from the time our babies are just wee little things that it is upon us to make sure our children become independent, right? Heaven help us if your infant isn't sleeping through the night by six weeks of age, right? Because then everything's terrible and they're still going to be sleeping in bed with you when they're 16 and it's all awful. 
And so you better teach them and you better teach them now. And, you know, heaven help us if uh, you have a two or three year old child who's in the middle of a giant tantrum and you come to their aid. Because if you help them, then it means they're going to learn that they tantrum to get your attention and that's going to make it um, harder for you in the long run. So we get all of this mixed messaging that if we actually show up and be present for our children, we're somehow spoiling them or we're somehow kind of ruining them. And really what our job is, is to grow up children who are hardy, not children who've become hardened. And in order to manifest that, one of the things that we have to make our peace with is this idea that uh, children are meant to lean in on their big people. You see, the, um, the adults provide contact and closeness and um, all of that sort of stuff that comes with um, dependence. And the child's only job is to seek it out. But the idea is that it's our job to invite our children's deep dependence, that we cannot be afraid of spoiling them. When it comes to love, there's no such thing as too much. And to really show up and be emotionally present and available to your children is a big deal for them. It actually changes the way their brains get wired up. It changes the way that they go and grow. And so we have to get over this misconception that we're meant to have children who are independent and we must teach them this from the very beginning. It is out of the gift of deep dependence that true independence will emerge and so when your little ones are tantruming or having any other kind of big behavioral challenge our job is to show up and to invite them to lean in on us for our support to find their way through that very difficult kind of challenging place and when we do that what we will find is that it's through the connection that we have with our children that we really arrive at our power to raise them up and not yucky power but nurturing uh, empathetic involved kind of parenting power that's what it takes to raise kids up in the way that nature intended so that they get to live their best possible life so we really want to make sure as we work to understand our kids that we're inviting their deep dependence next to that i've also found that it's very helpful for us to talk about the realities of development and that our children are not tiny adults and we often take, by downward extension, the expectations that we will have of them when they eventually become adults, and we apply them to our children while they're still children. And when they're children, their brains are, by design, as yet immature. And so your uh, six-week-old baby is not meant to be sleeping through the night. It's just not how it goes. And your two- and your three-year-old children are meant to be losing their ever-loving minds at least once a day in the massive mother of all toddler tantrums if development is going perfectly well. Because that's what a well-regulated uh, brain in adulthood, a brain that can manage all of its big feelings, when it's two and three years old, it looks like a brain that's combusting daily. And it's perfect. It means we're exactly on track. And one of my favorite um, things that David Loist, my partner who works with children with autism, says is that he's never saw a plant grow better or faster by having somebody pull on the top of it. 
what happens when you pull on the top of a plant is that you uproot it. And a plant that is uprooted will not grow better and faster. In fact, it will wither and fade away. And so we don't want to be sort of uprooting our children and trying to hurry along development. We want to be honoring them for the very ones that they are. We want to be meeting them exactly where they're at developmentally. 18-month-old children are meant to chew on other human beings. That's what they do. They bite other people because they're trying to make sense of their world and they haven't quite figured it out. It doesn't, they're not wrong for that. They're just, you know, a year and a half to two and a half years of age. And it's perfectly normal for kids in that age range to do that as are toddler tantrums, uh, perfectly normal. I have teenage boys at home now, and even our teenagers sometimes have tantrums as part of perfectly normal and healthy child development. If we never have to struggle with the loudness of it and the noise of it and the messiness of it and the chaos of it, then we will never actually figure out what it takes to get ourselves back down to feeling settled and, and sorted and neutral. And so our kids need to practice this thousands and thousands and thousands of times um, throughout the course of their childhood. Now, I also talk a lot about temperament. Because um, you can have two children, three children, four children cut from the same cloth, and yet they can present very, very differently. And that was the case for my children. My firstborn son, uh, who's now 16 and wears a men's size 15 shoe, he is giant. He's like the most enormous human. I have no idea how it even happened. He's what we call a dandelion kid. And dandelions uh, really don't take a lot of... Uh, thought to grow like you can kind of plant them in a crack in the cement and forget to water them and they will thrive that's what dandelions do and so he arrived in the world and he was just like you know happy to be alive he's pretty thrilled about being born he was happy to eat food he was happy to see people he's pretty delighted to go to school he does well at everything like he just kind of you know, goes through life. He's still like that at 16. It just kind of comes to him. And I thought I was a really, really excellent mom. I was like, check it out, you guys. Like, you know, Dr. Vanessa LaPointe here, nailing it when it comes to being a mom. Like, I got this in the bag. And then my second son was born. <laughs> my second son is not a dandelion kid. He's what we call an orchid child. And the orchid child needs the conditions around them to be just right in order for them to bloom and to blossom and to grow into all that they are capable of. And so when Maxwell was born, he um, arrived in the world crying and he kind of just didn't stop for about five years. <laughs> you, ain't never seen, you ain't never seen a toddler tantrum until you saw my child melting down in aisle five of the grocery store. Like it was next level epic and it's because when you're an orchid um human you everything gets you like it's all overwhelming and very intense and there's a lot going on for you all the time and so you never really get this chance to kind of come out of that and so we'll see a lot more tantrums we'll see a lot more challenging behaviors we'll see a lot more ugh, grinding as we try to get through sort of those um early years uh, that boy now is still an orchid child he's still very sensitive he can walk into a room full of people and right away have a read on everyone like he just sniffs the air and he knows what's going on and at 12 going on 13 next month he's starting to sort of um, be able to hang on to himself in really glorious ways and the gifts of his 
his orchid self are stunning. He's, uh, he's an artist in his heart and he has really beautiful things to offer the world. But I'll tell you, as a mom, I had to stay the course or I would have sunk his ship and I would have uprooted uh, him and he wouldn't have been able to grow in the best possible way. And it really did take some sort of fierce showing up as a mom in order to stand my ground around all of that. Now, one of the things that I did for him was that I made sure uh, that I was co-regulating him from the outside. And so when it comes to tantrums, we're going to practice this thousands of times with our children, where we're going to walk across what I call the brain bridge, and you're going to go from your heart-centered self into their brain and regulate them from the outside, because your young children do not have the capacity to regulate from the inside. And so you must be that steady uh, stabilizing presence from the outside for your child to really be able to practice this over and over and over again. It's almost like they're going to soak up from the outside your regulated presence. And in so doing, what happens is your child then becomes regulated. We have this rule in the world of neuropsychology, and the rule is neurons that fire together wire together. And so the more the neurons get practice at blowing up and firing up because of the tantrum and then being settled down because of the regulating presence of the big person who's standing by compassionately and empathetically and firmly, but with big heart, uh, settling the child back down, the more we practice that, the more likely those neurons are to wire together in the long term. That is at the heart of what we call the capacity to self-regulate, to manage your big emotions, to be able to take on the stresses of life and find your way through. And when you look at this cross-section of the brain across different ages, you can see newborn brain on the far left, then the six-month-old brain and the two-year-old brain. We're talking rapid, rapid rates of growth in the early years of life to uh, the extent that scientists now tell us it's about a million new neural connections being formed every second in wow. your young children's brains. And so the idea that the early years last forever and that we really do want to show up and parent right from the start is a big deal. And what happens as your kids approach adolescence is their brains are going to start to prune out the connections that haven't been well used. And so we want to make sure that the connections that are well used are the ones that are going to serve them and that we've really laid the the foundational groundwork for that across those first, you know, several years of life. And then finally, what I like to share with parents is that it's all about a journey. And you're going to feel, uh, moms and dads, like you are journeying up a mountain. Uh, and you're really going to want to stay at the peak of the mountain to enjoy the views from the top because they're spectacular. But the slope on either side is very, very steep. And you will find that in order to maintain your position at the peak of the mountain, you have to uh, be balanced between two forces. And on the one side, you have to make sure that you stay very firm with your children. But on the other side, you have to make sure that you are also very kind with your children and that you have both of those things embodied in you as one person, not one parent that shows up and be Mr. or Mrs. Kind and another parent that shows up to be Mr. or Mrs. Firm, but that we embody this within ourselves and we take that on for our children to make sure that we aren't sliding down the mountain. What happens is if you become too big with your firm and you haven't held on to enough of your kind, you're going to slide down that side of the mountain. And you're actually not being experienced by your child anymore as being firm. You're just a big old mean bully. And 
that means that your child is actually going to step into the lead of you and they're going to become very, very challenging because they won't trust you anymore. On the other hand, if you go too big with your kind, you are experienced by your child as being a jellyfish. And uh, this also causes them to not trust. And so they too will kind of step into the lead and become um, Hulk children. And so we really want to make sure that we understand all of these pieces of child development and that we are honoring our children at every step along the way for being the very ones who they are, not one step behind and not one step ahead, but exactly where they're at in that very moment. Damn, I wish I'd had you in my, <laughs> my kids with toddlers. I love so much of everything you say there, but particularly starting with that um, parenting from your heart and what feels right for you understanding mm -hmm. all of that stuff that you said because I personally feel anyway as soon as you understand why they're doing it it takes out the um, I think guilt's a big part right so parents oh. feel when their child is having a tantrum I've done something wrong everyone's judging me because I'm not controlling this child but switching it around to look at it from their perspective you're actually like well you know what this is normal so you guys can deal with it i love that <laughs> but let's get to some questions um we have a question from georgina on facebook live who says hi i'm yet to wean my bub and really want to in brackets we only have it and bedtime and wake at bedtime and wake ups now um, so she really wants to wean. She's a force of nature and I'm just a bit frightened of the tantrums that will follow. Have you got any tips? She's two years and two months. So trying to wean a toddler who mm -hmm. she's a bit scared is going to react loudly. And so the wonderful thing is that a big part of the answer to that question for you, Georgina, is, is buried in the question itself. Um, because you're worried about the weaning and you're concerned that there's going to be all of this fallout, that's actually where we need to start. As long as you have a feeling of being unsettled about that inside of you, your child is going to pick up on that unsettled feeling and it's going to actually start to influence the way that that um, process unfolds. And so we would want to look at why is it that you are wanting uh, to wean uh, versus not and, and what kinds of things are sort of in the mix behind that for you. Uh, for example, if you're wanting to wean because of pressure from people around you, or you're wanting to wean because you're just, you know, you think people are getting judgy because you've been um, feeding for too long or like whatever it is, if those kinds of things are feeding into this, we have to start with that first and get that energy inside of you cleaned up. I know when I talk about energy, people often think it sounds a bit woo woo, but I'll tell you what, energy be real and your baby <laughs> speak energy very, very well. So if you're kind of oh, not settled about this, your babe's going to know and that will make it more challenging. And then when you decide the time is right for you and only you can decide the right time, because remember, you are the expert. You are this little bub's mom. And so you will know when the time is right and you've cleaned up your energy. You've really resolved all of that. You'll just step in with uh, sometimes I call it with the energy of the great mother and you will find your way through with swagger you will find your way through with presence and you will uh, be able to stand by your babe 
who understandably is going to be confused. There'll be a change uh, in the step of the dance, and so they're going to have to find their way. And you'll just be the compassionate, uh, nurturing big person who invites big meltdowns, who invites big frustration, because you're their big person, and you're the one that's going to hold that for them. Good luck, Georgina. Uh, Cassandra, also from Facebook Live, says, which probably feeds into what you were just saying about that mountain between mm. the um, firmness and the kindness. Is there such a thing as discipline for a toddler? How can we redirect unwanted behaviour? Example, my daughter hates getting out of the bath. She'll throw herself on the ground naked and bang her head. I love her. <laughs> Is that what you do too, Vanessa? It might be. <laughs> days when I feel like doing that, surely. So I will tell you very honestly, and not to frighten you, but just to be very frank, that the number one thing that I deal with in my clinical practice when I'm working with parents who have children that are struggling with behavior is undoing the... Um, the damaging impact of a lot of the approaches to discipline that we use as parents. And so in, in my first book, which is called Discipline Without Damage, I wrote at length about really um, discipline has less to do with finding your children behaving well and much more to do with finding ourselves uh, behaving well as the grown-ups. And we don't need, you know, any strategies. We don't need any tricks. We don't need you know, one, two, three steps to timeouts and this and that and the other thing. All we need to do is to be firm and to be kind. And so when your child is having a meltdown after the bath and smashing her head against the floor, of course, you're going to want to step in and you're going to want to make sure that safety is taken care of and everybody's looked after that way. And then we'd want to figure out, okay, all behavior is communication. So what's really going on here? And maybe what's going on is that your child is quite sensitive and the transition from the bath to out of bath is a big deal to them. They don't like that it feels cold. They don't like sort of all of the setting circumstances around that. Or maybe it's that bath is part of the bedtime routine and bedtime uh, signals a time of prolonged separation for most of our babies. Um, and uh, children have a real reaction to that because their lifeline is to be connected to us. And so maybe your baby has figured out uh, that after bath means, ah, this it's almost bedtime and I really don't like bedtime. And so we want to understand a little bit more about the possibilities of what the behavior is trying to communicate. And then we can come along and we can just, you know, fill up bedtime with all sorts of connected rituals and connected routines. And so we start to sort of um, take a bird's eye view at the behavior and then begin to move in underneath it from there. I, am, I might go, oh, there's another one here. This one's from Angela. When my three-year-old son is in trouble, he throws toys around. How can I rechannel this habit? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much a habit as it is that this is the way that he's getting out his frustrations. And so in the same way that you might, uh, if you're nervous before, let's say, a job interview or something, you might find yourself, you know, like uh, going to twirling your hair or bouncing your leg or whatever. <laughs> no, I got all tangled hair. Um, whatever it is that's um, your go-to thing, your child's go-to thing when he's having literally a combustion of frustration in his brain, he's what we call uh, flipping his lid. So he's going down into his limbic system, the upper part of the brain where he's able to think rationally and reasonably about things ceases to exist. So he's just fired up in his limbic system and he dis 
charges that by throwing toys. And so it's not a habit so much as it is, it's how he's coping with very big, very overwhelming feelings on the inside of him. And so the first thing is to never ever make him wrong for being the very one that he is. And that's who he is in the same way that he might have blue eyes or brown eyes. He throws toys when he's frustrated. And then we want to come alongside and we want to be firm and kind. And you would kind of uh, wander into that with uh, some kind of a prompt. It might be gentle. It's hard. You really wanted that toy. Your little brother, da, 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 da. I'm right here. Let's get you a drink of water and you start moving them along. And is that going to stop them from throwing the toy again? <laughs> Have you met three-year-olds? No, <laughs> but that's the whole point. Because he's three, he will throw toys for a while longer yet. And there's actually nothing wrong with him. We just need to step in from the outside as the big people, contain it, so make it safe, provide those reminders hundreds of times before they're actually going to settle in and stick, and allow him to get his frustrations out so that he feels seen and heard by us. We have a question from Kay. My one-year-old one doesn't respond to no and don't touch. She thinks everything is a game and funny. I'm worried she won't understand when something is dangerous and she shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I really love uh, is that we take all of these questions and we break them out into two layers. What is the parent layer of the question? And then what is the child layer of the question. And so if we're really worried and we start to respond with that kind of um, tone in our voice and, and frustration and upset and panic that if they don't learn these things then something terrible is gonna happen, then we start to get into some trouble with our children. And so we wanna make sure that we've got it sorted out, that we actually know what's going on here and that we know that we're the big person that's gonna step in and drop it like it's hot when it matters and make sure that our kids are uh, taken care of and sorted out. And then, Wonder what it is for your child that all of this has become a game. Well, around that age, cause and effect is a really, really important thing for them to master. And so you'll see kids when they first start this, they play the drop it game from their high chairs where they just start, you know, tossing stuff over the edge waiting for you to pick it up because it's really fun and cool. They like this thing happens and then you do this thing and then they're putting it all together. And so it sounds to me like your child's going through one of those growth kinds of phases where they're putting pieces together and they're lining up cause and effect kind of patterns. And so it's not that it's a game and it's not that they're not learning, but rather that this is the way the world interests them. And we just continue along with teaching the lessons as we go and trusting that nature will have its way and they will learn, I promise you. Oh, I like that, that it's like multiple, I, that, that idea that you have to say it several million times before they get it. Because yeah. that's the hard thing, right? When you're parenting, oh. you think, I've said this before and they're not listening, so it mustn't be working. But you're saying with that age group, just keep on going. Look, we do have lots more questions, but I don't mind leaving people wanting more because then they'll come and see, don't you reckon? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I can see you, it's, it's a really good tour that you guys are doing because you are stopping in quite a few cities. Um, as I mentioned at the top, um, Vanessa is going to be touring with Maggie Dent. You cannot lose with these two women. You're going to walk away feeling very confident and, um, and proud and excited, I think, I always feel when I walk away from talking with you guys um, because it can be tough. So it's nice to be inspired about how we can relate with our kids. Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on with us today. 
Thank you so much for having me on. That's Dr. Vanessa Lapointe, psychologist and author of Parenting Right from the Start. For more information about the seminars she's doing across Australia with Maggie Dent this March, check out the links in the notes of this episode. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.